silence. It's something that's awkward for a lot of us. There's something uncomfortable about it. There's a problem in our lives. Maybe you've experienced this. You're sitting in a waiting room. Maybe it's a doctor's office. Maybe you're sitting as your kids in their sports or music lessons and you're in that waiting room with other parents and you've had an experience like I've had and my wife has had as we regularly reflect with each other. 15, 20 adults circled around, bodies facing each other in the room, but no one even looking at each other on our phones keeping ourselves busy, or at least trying to make it look like we're busy, look like we have something to do. See, in our culture, we're addicted to busyness. It's essentially like a badge of honor. As Pastor Brennan mentioned when we started this series two weeks ago, if you ask someone how they're doing, good, just busy. Heaven forbid if you would ever say you're not. But our busyness is really actually a mechanism that we use to distract us. Stuffing our lives with constant noise, many of us subconsciously afraid of what might happen if we stop. Like that odd time when you accidentally make eye contact with that person on the other side of the waiting room and you both feel really awkward. So what do we do? We fill our world with more noise, more doing, more work, more activities, more distraction. See, we can physically be surrounded by people and activity, but yet our souls be completely muted and disconnected. The way many of us live is the equivalent of flying versus walking. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you've regularly drove somewhere or traveled through another means and then you walk that distance. My wife will regularly make fun of me because I literally live a seven minute walk from this building and I think I've walked to the church once or twice. I won't say how many years, that's Tim. But it's, it's amazing when I walk somewhere how the experience is different. I actually hear the voices of my neighbors and the people that I pass by. I can hear kids playing and conversations happening in the background or a mower that's just started in the summer. You get the smell of the fresh grass in the air and the flowers. You feel the gravel that grinds underneath your feet as you walk. There's an experience that you're present to as you walk. Versus if you fly somewhere, you can fly over an entire community like Beaumont and not even know that it was there. That's how many of us live our lives. We are so busy trying to get from A to B, we're constantly trying to get somewhere, but we're never actually present anywhere. Present to other people, present to the good in our own lives, present to God, Presence to our very own souls. 
Yet despite this, so many of us continue to just fly around because if we slow down, we might have to come face to face with the questions and pain we can't control. These are the ones that tend to come up in those rare quiet moments in your life. The ones that come up when you're up late at night staring at the ceiling hoping you can fall asleep. It's the reason why so many of us try to do that by different means. We stay up late watching TV, hoping that we'll just essentially pass out at some point. Or maybe we use alcohol. Maybe some type of sedative to fall asleep. Something to numb us. So that our mind, we just keep occupying, 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 and hoping at some point we pass out. Because we're so afraid of the silence. Yet the negative impacts of our disease, our disease that is an addiction to distraction and busyness, has already infiltrated our lives. Our lives are showing the symptoms of a lifestyle that is not in rhythm with how God wants us to live. A life that has no room for the spiritual practice of solitude and silence. Our lives can show symptoms of this, and maybe you will resonate with some of these symptoms. You feel distant from God. You lose sight of your own identity and callings. Who am I? Why am I doing this? You get caught up in the urgent instead of the important. That one hits me hard every time I read it. You're exhausted. You battle an undercurrent of anxiety constantly. You are easily tempted. You are emotionally unhealthy. Quick sign of this is that you are easily angered and quickly triggered. Do any of those sound familiar? Do any of those resonate with you? Let me be clear as I start today, because you need to hear that I'd be hypocritical if I'm saying I don't see myself there and I don't struggle. How can I avoid these? How do I escape this ends? Where can I look for a way out? We know as followers of Jesus, we look to Jesus as our example. Jesus. Now, if you're new to church, if maybe a lot of this is new to you, Jesus himself was 100% divine. He was God. He was the son of God. Yet the Bible also teaches us that Jesus was 100% man. 100%, that math doesn't make sense. 200%? He's God. He's allowed to go beyond our math understanding. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Now, many people go, well, it's important to remember the divinity of Christ, that he is God. But just as important, the Bible makes it very clear that he was man. And there is a reason for that. Because Jesus was set up to be our example to follow. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, God, you want me to follow you. Well, you're God and you're perfect. I can't follow you. You don't know what it's like to be a man. Jesus was very much 100% man and lived as a man and showed how we were to live. When we talk about the teachings of Jesus, we're not just talking about something rhetorical, of knowing what Jesus said, but Jesus' very life was actually supposed to be the demonstration of how we were to live. 
We see in the book of Matthew, in chapter 3, this is a story that's mentioned in other parts of the gospel as well, that Jesus is baptized. Now, Jesus is not baptized because he needs to be. He is 100% God. Jesus did not need baptism to get closer to God and to make a public declaration. Why was Jesus baptized? He was baptized because he was setting an example for us to follow. You guys with me? Okay, so Jesus is baptized in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. We see this happen. You may, if you've been in church, you maybe remember this story. Jesus goes under John the baptized, uh, Baptist, baptizes him under the river when he comes up from the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove, and the voice of God says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? Immediately after this event, we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus is then led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus is led into the wilderness. Now, the word for the word wilderness is the word Aramis. This means desert. Now, if you grew up knowing this story, you maybe are like me. I always think, okay, Jesus is led into the desert. He's led into the back country, and really, 40 days he's there. Without food, God is breaking him down so that he is at his very lowest for when the devil comes to tempt him. That's how I read this story. But this word Aramis that's translated as wilderness here, it's used throughout the New Testament and usually is not translated wilderness. Rather, the other meanings of this is a deserted place, a desolate place, a solitary place, a quiet, lonely place. See, while you may be like me and think that the wilderness was a place of weakness, it really actually wasn't. John Mark Comer, the person who wrote the book that we're kind of basing this three-week series off of, he says this, he used to think of the wilderness as a place of weakness. But the wilderness isn't a place of weakness, it's a place of strength. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness because it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walk away unscathed. Now, this was not the only time, again, that the New Testament talks about Jesus and Aramis, the desolate, quiet, lonely place. The story of Jesus' baptism and then the subsequent temptation in the wilderness is also paralleled in, in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 1. Now, immediately after the wilderness, Jesus goes to a city called Capernaum. He does a, a day of really long ministry, does miracles. And at the end of that day, just one day after the 40 days in the wilderness, what do we see in Mark 1.35? We see that then Jesus goes straight back to the Aramis, the solitary place, to pray. You see, the quiet place in Jesus' life, the quiet place was not a one-time experience, but it was a regular life rhythm of Jesus. Jesus, the one who is fully God, fully man, and has set up his very life, not just his words, but his life, set up as a pattern for us to follow. Throughout the Bible, we see this in the New Testament. Mark chapter 6 Again, another story of Jesus as he does a miracle with a couple loaves of bread and a couple sardines and he feeds 5,000 men, plus women, plus children. And in this event, we see immediately after this in Mark chapter 6, 45 and 46, immediately after Jesus said to his disciples, get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, Jesus went up on a mountainside 
by himself to pray. In the Gospel of Luke, is specifically mentioned that Jesus went to his Aramis, his quiet place, no less than nine times that Luke felt that was so important to make clear that pattern. Luke 5.15 says this, the, the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often, often, often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. See, there's a pattern specifically that we see in the book of Luke that the busier and more in demand Jesus was, the more famous he became, the more he withdrew to the quiet place. Why? Because it is in the Aramis that we most deeply connect with God the Father. It is there where we find clarity about our identity and our calling. It's where we are grounded to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. So the greater the demands are on our life, the more people sing to toot our praises or do the opposite and try to tear us down, the more there is temptation to follow the voices around us, the more we need to have the discipline and the time to go to the Aramis. This is what happens when we spend time and intimately connect with the Father. We are grounded in him. Now, it's easy for many of us to fall into the trap of focusing on seeking the hand of God. I want the hand of God in my life. Meaning, I want what God can do for me. I want his power. I want him to work. And I pursue the hand of God rather than the face of God. Relationship with him. Intimacy with him. His very presence. If you're like me, we can so do this so regularly in our lives. We'd even do it to other people, not just God. We use people and relationships to get what we need to fill a void in our own lives. Now, there's a reason why this is so tempting and so luring. It's because he fits into our busyness, distraction type of life. The lure of seeking the hand of God is that it can fit within our current agenda, our pace, and our lifestyle. I need, I ask, you give, I move on. But God is not interested in simply serving your felt experienced void. He wants relationship. He wants time with you. He wants to totally redeem and transform you. He says, stop. Stop. Come and follow me. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. We must give up our own way. We need to stop trying to fit God into our current pace of living and life agenda. We need to stop and slow down. Not just say it, how many of you are like me where you have for years had conversations about how we, yeah, we just need to slow down and that's the right thing? It's the same as we've all probably had the conversations, yeah, we really should not be on our phones so much, yet we do nothing about it. We need to stop and slow down. We need to go to the Aramis so we can clearly hear him and follow him.
Jesus' life provides us a clear example that silence and solitude are to be a regular part of the rhythm of the way we live. So let's look at these two different disciplines really quickly and define what they mean. What does silence and solitude lead? When it comes to silence, Henry Nouwen compared it to the idea of a steam bath or a sauna. If you've gone into a sauna, it's an enclosed space so that the steam stays in that room and does what it's supposed to do. Imagine if you just left the door open and all the steam left. The steam room, the sauna, would essentially be null and void. It would be pointless. Henry Nouwen compares silence and solitude to that, silence in particular. He talks about that it's, it's like the, the fires that God stokes in our lives. We have to regularly stoke that fire, and that's done through silence. Because if our mouths are constantly open, if our lives are constantly active, it's like swinging that door open. There needs to be a time for the door to be closed so that the fire is stoked again and the steam is able to grow. Silence is being still before God. It is waiting for him to speak and learning to be sensitive to his voice. A key verse, if you've not written this before, and maybe if this is one of your first times ever listening to a message at a church, in your Bible, if you have one, or you can look online, but right in the middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms. If you split it in half, it'd be almost right there. In the book of Psalms, chapter 46 and verse 10, The psalmist says this, be still and know that I am God. This word be still is the word rapa, which literally means take your hands off, relax, let go or stop doing. Be still and know. Be able to perceive Come to the point of knowing God. Stop trying to just run around and do. Slow down. Stop. Relax. Let go. Come and be still. Take time just to listen, God says. To be with me. And from that, from that basis... Not through your scholarly exercise and research, but from being still, being with God, being aware of his presence, come to know him. Be still and know I am God. Hearing the voice of God to you specifically is vital to the Christian life. It is not a perk that some spiritual elite get. It is meant for each and every one of us to hear the voice of God speak to us. It's what Jesus did regularly. It's why he regularly went away on his own to listen to God. Being a Christ follower does not mean learning the teachings of Jesus. It means knowing Jesus and living a lifestyle like Jesus following the example he left for us. You need to make space for real silence in your life. Now, as John Mark Comer describes it, silence has two different elements. There's external silence, and that's probably what we all think of right away. The external silence is the external noise in our lives. 
you need to find a space that's quiet. It's hard to focus on God when you're surrounded by chaos and noise. So what is a quiet space in your life? Is there a room in your house? Is there a closet you can go to for a designated time just to pray and to listen? Maybe you go, that's not really realistic in my, li- in my life. If you came to my house, you would know that. Okay, for some of us, we really connect with God through nature. Is there a walking path that you can do that you can do by your own, undistracted, where you can just listen and talk with God? Connect with God that way. Or maybe you're like me. My quiet place is my car. Oftentimes, my most powerful prayer moments are when I go driving because I can control the environment, I can control the noise. Maybe your car is your quiet place. Now, this is not an escapist mindset. This is not just going away and trying to get away from your external noise and just replacing it with other noise. We're not putting our headphones in with the newest podcast we wanted to listen to or something that's a distraction. We're not escaping, we're pursuing God. This is a place to be still, to be quiet. So we need to deal with the external noise and then we need to deal with the internal noise. And that's the one that's more challenging. Internal noise, internal noise, sorry, not eternal, internal, hopefully not eternal. Internal noise is that mental chatter that just never shuts up. The running commentary on our heads on everything, the replaying of a lousy conversation with a friend over and over and over again, our lustful thoughts, our fantasies, our worry, the obsessing over hypothetical scenarios, role-playing the future, catastrophizing, idealizing, dreaming of the perfect life, which in turn poisons our actual lives. Do you know that all that daydreaming and all that fantasizing actually poisons your real life? For internal, si- internal silence, you need to make room in your heart and mind. You need to make room in your life to bring things to God and then... Be still, let go of it. Hand it off. Exchange our worries, our thoughts, our lusts, and our broken fixations and hand them to God and exchange them for God's word and God's presence. Christian meditation, as opposed to many Eastern religions, Christian meditation is not simply an emptying of yourself. Christian meditation is a focusing and inviting in the presence of God. It may include that, God, I give you this, but it's not simply trying to empty, because all you'll do, it's like having a cup under a running faucet. You can try and get rid of the water that's in there. It's just going to keep filling with stuff you don't want. You can try and go, well, I've got to empty. You're never going to reach empty. Something's going to come in. Christian meditation is focusing on the presence of God and inviting the presence of God in to fill us. Now, a warning out there, for those of you who have fought off silence for a long time in your life, and you've used different means to do so. As you try to incorporate incorporate both silence and solitude in your day, you are going to find yourself easily distracted. I want to say this because it's okay. It's okay that you're going to go, that two minutes was so hard, I just, my brain was so filled with stuff. You got a backlog of stuff. As things come up in your mind and you find yourself distracted in silence, just catch it. Bring it to God. Give it to Him and focus back on him. Don't feel guilty and don't go, I can't do this. It might take some time to really get some of that stuff out just each time. God, I want to give this to you. I want to focus on you. It's like a muscle. And if you're like me and you have had years of not exercising, this past year, I tried to get on where I bike a couple times a week on an exercise bike. Let me tell you, painful, 
painful when you don't use muscles for years and years and years. But over time, that pain goes away and you actually begin to develop those muscles. You are going to be developing a spiritual discipline muscle. And it will get easier with time, but you, it's going to take some time and adjustment with that. Some of you have been ignoring your soul for so long. Your soul is in rough shape. And with that, when you start to finally slow down and listen, you are going to experience some discomfort. You're going to feel that. When you finally open that box, open up that Pandora's box of your soul, you're going to find stuff that's in there that you're going to find ugly and you're not going to like. I'm warning you right now, you're not going to like what comes out. But don't be discouraged, be encouraged. God doesn't just want to expose your stuff. He wants to redeem it. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring life to you. Be of courage. Start where you're at. Secondly, quickly, is solitude. Solitude is not isolation from others. See, isolation is different. That's where the enemy has his best track. Solitude is engagement. Isolation is escape. Solitude is safety. Isolation is danger. Solitude is how you open yourself up to God. Isolation is painting a target on your back for the tempter. Solitude is when you set set aside time to feed and water and nourish your soul to let it grow into healthy maturity. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the former. Solitude is anything but loneliness. Solitude is when we actually feel most connected with God. For those of you who feel discouraged because you feel God is distant, it's like he is just not present with you. He's ignoring your prayers. He's ignoring you. I would challenge you and myself when I have those same feelings that for many of us, I believe our issues lie more in our own distraction rather than God's disconnection. So create an environment in your life. Create an eremos, a solitary place in your life. It's not going to form naturally. You need to make it for our attention to be on God and connecting with him. Mother Teresa said, you will never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Finding the time, the safe time with God allows us to unpack all of our stuff. The stuff that is unfortunately coming out in dysfunctional ways already in our lives, oftentimes to those we most love, but now you can unpack it in a healthy way with a loving father who comes to heal and to redeem. Jesus said this in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said we are to abide in him. This word abide means abode, home, or place of rest. Our very souls are called to come back to our place of rest. Away from distraction and hurriedness and busyness to a place of rest. Abide in Christ. So quickly as I close... Practically, I want to talk about what does silence and solitude look like in your life? How can you incorporate this? Because many of you I know are in the same boat as me. This is a discipline and area where you're lacking and you have need. I would love to encourage you to regularly take a retreat away from town, on your own, away from others. And if you can, that's great. But I also know that realistically, there are a lot of us where we go, I can't do that. 
I can't just leave my kids. I can't just leave my spouse, my job. I don't have the ability to go off on my own for two days just to be on my own. This is not achievable. Okay, so let's talk practically. Let's make a physical space in your life. What could that look like? Again, do you have a room in your house? Do you have a closet in your house? Do you have some type of physical space that could be designated as a place to pray and read God's word? That's free from distraction. That when you are there, your phone is turned off and it is a time just to be with God. You're off duty. Or again, perhaps for some of you go, that's not realistic in my home. We don't have a space designated for that. I can say that, but my four-year-old is not going to be honoring the imaginary walls I put around my space. Okay? Some of you connect with God through nature. Can you have where you regularly in your week have rhythm of having time where you walk by yourself alone? Find a nature path that's there, a regular walk that you can do where you're by yourself. Again, you're not listening to it a new podcast, you're not distracting yourself. If you're listening to music, it's maybe, maybe just some instrumental music that if, because there's noise or construction or something like that, that's fine, but not something that draws your attention because your attention is about focusing on God and connecting with him. Take time just to talk with God. Share your heart. Share with him the things that are heavy and exchange it with him. And then just listen. Walk and listen to creation around you. Listen and say, God, what would you say? Ask this question to him. God, what would you want to say to me today? Put that question out there and take time just to listen. Not 30 seconds, not 45 seconds. Take time just to listen. If you find yourself distracted, come back. God, this is the question. What would you say to me today? And put your focus on him. For those of you who maybe your drive home is your one opportunity, use that. This is oftentimes what I've used in my, as my go-to. It's already planned in your day. Just turn off the radio. If you're a sports radio nut like me, it's all bad news right now anyways, all right? Doesn't matter if you're a Flames fan, Oilers fan, we're not around. Just turn it off, okay? Turn off your radio and go for a drive. Maybe give yourself a little bit of flexibility so you even have a couple minutes so that if you needed to, you could pull to the side somewhere. Pull at a parking lot. Give yourself the time just to listen and wait on God. Look over creation as you drive. Praise God. Thank him for who he is, for what he's done and what he is going to do in your life. Ask him that same question. God, what would you want to say to me today? I just want to hear from you. Share your heart with him. Make sure you spend time just to listen in the quiet. Practically, start your conversation with praise. Thank God for who he is and what he's done. And then ask him that question, God, what would you want to say to me today? And as distractions come, and they will, don't feel defeated. Just give that scenario to God and ask him to help you to be present in this moment. So here's what we're going to do. Pastor Marlowe's about to come up and just conclude our gathering. But we're going to take 30 seconds, 30 seconds as he's walking. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and to ask that question God, what do you want to say to me right now? Help me to be aware of you and your voice and your presence.